Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abu, huh? With Tamson and Dan read the paper on Sunday. Yes. November 21st. Right. 2021. 11. 2121. Very good. Yeah, 11, 21, 21. I'm sure We're coming up on Thanksgiving. There's some meaning to somebody. Some numerologist out there is going crazy. But uh, to us, it's Sunday. Yes, coming up on Thanksgiving. And uh, we just, uh, family is beginning to arrive. We celebrated Granger's birthday. A couple of days ago. Our and firstborn. Our firstborn. And, then and we... his firstborn was in attendance. Right. And uh, Zeke's firstborn was in attendance. And they met for the first time. It was a monumentous occasion. Uh, monumentous? Momentous? Momentous. It was big time. It was uh, two children, just about uh, one a little older than one, the other a little younger than one, and they barely noticed each other, I think it's fair to say. Well, they were both pooped. Yes, but uh, they'll have another chance to get together. We'll see if they, anything resonates. Yeah. You may hear some yeah. squeaking in the background. That's the 13-month-old. Uh, she is uh, nonstop. You know, she learned to walk, and she's forgotten how to sit down. So uh, That's not true. She's, she's motoring. She's a delight. She's a delight, that's for sure. She's motoring. Motoring. But uh, we'll see how she interacts uh, with Hazi when the time comes. And I will tell you that uh, she's not going to be able to roll right over him. She's uh, got the motor, but uh, she runs into that boy. She's going to go down. So, wait a minute. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see when the time comes. Um, boy, she's making a storm here. She's... I hear her. Yeah, she, uh, ha- she hasn't said a peep all afternoon. <laughs> now she's going. Now she's ramped up. Yeah, she's ramped up. I don't know what she had to eat. Um, all right. So we have... Um, okay, there she is again. <laughs> Here's something that I thought was easily the most interesting story I've seen in several weeks. Uh, a deaf high school football team in California uh, having tremendous success. The California School for the Deaf at Riverside. Apparently has had a football team. All the students are deaf and they've had a team for years. And now they're having tremendous success. And what do I mean by tremendous success? They're not just winning every game. They're rolling over their opponents by a lot. The last game, they beat the uh, Desert Christian Knights 84-12. to And just to be clear about it, it's not a league of uh, other schools for the deaf. They're the only school for the deaf in the league. And they're winning every football game. Just a regional high school league. Yeah, regional high school league. But... uh, Football is pretty serious in California. It's supposed to be a competitive league. And uh, they have no disadvantage, apparently, because they're deaf. Uh, a matter of fact, the way they're seeing it, they have a tremendous advantage. Uh, what could their advantage be? Well, the advantage, it turns out, is their communication skills. And you say, well, how is that? You know, if you're not deaf, you can speak, and that's an advantage. Well, not exactly, because... You know, there's a lot of signaling in plays from the sidelines in high school football. That's how you often make your calls. They're really good at signaling in plays. I mean, they're like whizzes at it. But also, they're great at signaling between each other uh, with hands rather than speaking in real time. In other words, they're able to talk out loud to each other in a manner of speaking in a way the other team cannot understand. So they get their play signaled in, they get the people set up, and they run the plays without any huddling whatsoever. And it's no problem. It's just a flurry of hand movements. And they go from play to play and set to set and adjustment to adjustment. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, and they are rolling over people. And there are other possible advantages too. Uh, one is, according to one of the coaches, that they have a greater visual sense because they're 
they don't hear that to make up for other senses and they're acutely aware of where the other team's players are on the field and they make adjustments that way. Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't exactly buy into this 100%. Uh, not that it's important whether I buy into it or not. Uh, just because they've been unsuccessful for many, many years. So I don't get it. Maybe they just came up with a better system. How's the coach? The coach is good, but the coach is he's in his second stint. And his first stint, he was unsuccessful. And now it's mean it's like his first year? No. He yeah. he was four years ago he was the coach and then he was not the coach and now he's the coach again. On the other hand, he has I don't think the coach is deaf, but he has two deaf sons who play on the team. And I I think he's figured something out, basically. Okay. And perhaps they're not disclosing and he's not eager to make it all clear how he's doing it. He, he what he says is the kids did a lot of conditioning in the off season. They're an exceptionally talented group of players, you know, it's just one of those things. So the stars have aligned. Perhaps the stars of a line. Look, it's impressive that they're just competitive. They're able to make the most of their situation, frankly, uh, turn a disadvantage into an advantage. So it's kind of an amazing story. And, and it's caught some attention. Some NFL teams have sort of had them uh, celebrated at halftime or something like that. So it's not a terrible secret. It's kind of a big deal. So I thought that was uh, something. It's not that deaf people can't speak, by the way. They can't hear. Yeah, I understand, but you, I, you misspoke. I, no, but it's not that they can't speak, but they're certainly not speaking to each other. That's my point. Okay, they're communicating right. with their hands right. as opposed to spoken word. Right. Um, so I have another sports story. Yeah, really kind of fun, and uh, it's from the New York Times. Indigenous women of the Yucatan are swinging for the fences, mm-hmm. and it's a story about uh, some indigenous women in Mexico who have begun to play softball. Mm-hmm. And uh, they um, were living kind of constrained lives, you know, uh, you know, just staying in the home, doing the chores. And uh, some of them got together and, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of baseball all over Mexico, right? right. And uh, so they uh, began to play a little sort of baseball uh, amongst themselves, pseudo baseball with a uh, tennis ball, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, they, uh, one thing led to another and, um, they, um, ended up, uh, being introduced into uh, a kind of a, a softball mm-hmm. league. Yeah. And what's interesting is here's, here's what I like about it. Number one, they don't wear uniforms. Okay, they they started out playing their modified sport, and uh, they played another team who was um, also playing, you know, kind of, you know, made up mm-hmm. uh, baseball type of game, and uh, so they didn't have uniforms. They just played in what they wear. They're barefoot, mm-hmm. and uh, they wear the huipo. They wear a dress, that traditional dress mm-hmm. that, you know, with the embroidery, mm-hmm. it's uh, very often white. You, you've seen them a million times. And uh, when they got um, noticed and introduced into the, you know, the regular softball game, they were given uniforms, shoes, etc. And uh, they said, thanks, but no thanks. They said, when we wear the shoes, we get blisters uh-huh. and uh, the uniforms are uncomfortable. We're comfortable in the dresses, so they're playing. So they're playing dresses. barefoot in dresses yeah. against other teams that you know are uh, fully dressed. Now these are the uh, little devils. 
that the main part of the article is about. But there's another indigenous group, uh, the Amazonas, yeah. uh, that uh, also play, but they, they don't uh, necessarily play uh, against each other. Um, but it's this people on both teams say it's really opened up their lives. Really? At first, the men kind of mocked them yeah. and say, well, you know, why are you going out? You right. know, and 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 now they've become quite interested. They're interested in the game. And uh, the one woman said, uh, now when I come home from the games, they're eager to know how it went and even bring me something to drink. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and it's just kind of broadened their horizons. They, they've met people. They've been places. Um, and uh, it's really... Um, Given them a sense of success and inclusion, um, good kind of playing this sport. Good. But I, but I just love it. This is a great picture of uh, a woman up to bat in the dress with uh, the um, with her bare feet. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's an unusual picture. Yeah, looks like she can hit them. All right. Uh, so here's a headline which just uh, struck me. It's not, I don't know, I'm going to dwell on the story. And the headline in the Times reads literally, Plagues strike Egypt. Sudden floods, then four-inch scorpions called death stalkers. Well, look, there's nothing funny about four-inch scorpions called death stalkers. Well, we got a couple of plagues going on here. Yes, there's really... Yeah, the floods it's a flood. sort of a plague, right? It's a flood. And that caused this is, that flushed the scorpions out. Right, they had to get out of their, their desert neighborhood, and now they're invading some homes. And they're death stalkers by name, but the truth is there's a way to navigate them, although they're really kind of awful. And if you do get uh, stung, you got to get a shot, and, and you deal with it. And there were three deaths reported, and it turns out they weren't really deaths from the scorpions. So it gets a little uh, dragged down. But... Uh, Listen, headline plagues strike Egypt is going to capture my attention, even outside Every of Every 5,000 years, that headline <laughs> occurs, doesn't it? Plagues strike Egypt. One day we'll be in the time say, plagues strike Egypt, Red Sea parted. I mean, then we'll just yeah. turn the page and say, I don't know, what, what the Giants do yesterday. But um, that was weird. But here's something that's also weird in its own way. Apple opens the way to do-it-yourself do repairs to its products. Apple has now uh, announced that they are going to make it possible for DIYers, those are do-it-yourself folks, to repair their broken Apple products, like, let's say, your phone. Something goes wrong with your phone. I mean, one of the great complaints about Apple products and similar products has been that the only way to deal with it is to buy a new one, and that's awfully expensive, and it's bad for the environment, etc., etc. Well, Apple has relented and said, okay, uh, we're going to make it easier for people to repair things. The, the main thing being the broken screen which you can repair now, it costs a lot. It costs $250 or $280. Following this, is still going to cost a lot. It still costs $200 or so. But, but the fact is there are other parts of it that they're going to make it clear how you might replace in the interior of the phone itself and that you might maintain your phone the way you maintain your car, uh, which could be kind of interesting that you could keep it going. You know, it, it's... Uh, it is something that Apple's been kind of dragged into a little bit by government regulators who've been pushing them to do this kind of thing because people have been complaining that they got to ditch the phone. It's planned obsolescence. But, you know, in my mind, it could help Apple because you could charge more for a phone. 
If you could tell people, you'll have it for a long yeah, time. Yeah, let's and not you can go around it. encouraging Apple to charge more I'm for not, phones. Believe me, the last thing I do is listen to me. But uh, it's uh, you know, it's a this, comfort to think that is, if something blows in the phone, you can fix it. Good aspects and bad aspects. What's the okay. bad aspects? Well, it reminds me of years ago when I had a problem with the Dell computer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and you know, and after the usual you know okay. nine hours. On the helpline, right. he said, "Well, it sounds like you need a new hard drive." And I said, "Oh, good." He said, so they said, uh, "Here, we'll send it to you." Yeah. Right. And then I said, "Well, who puts it in?" And they said, "You do." Right. And how and did it work out? It was awful. Really? It was. I was on the phone. I took apart the computer. Where were your I children? Mean, when this uh, happened. I'll tell you where the children were. It. I. It was. Um, it was total insanity because it's not like. I am, you know, uh, techno savvy. Right. Nor is okay? your husband. But... I, it, it never occurred to me yeah. you could open up yeah. uh, the uh, console or whatever it's called, right. the tower. And, uh, it, you know, I got on the phone with a woman yeah. who um, I could barely understand right. her. No, no. Right. I don't you, mean to disparage you anyone, her. It's okay. but it's just, yeah. it, it was hard to understand her and, you know, and made it harder for me to follow instructions. Yeah. But also it may not have even been uh, her accent. It could have been the dialogue she's reading from. They usually have a script. They right. say, do this, do that. Right. It's written by engineers yeah. and I'm not an engineer. Yeah, okay? It always makes sense to an engineer. It was impossible i remember remember this and and at a certain point sadie did come in the room yeah and i'm on the floor lying on the floor trying to do this yeah and she i said sadie bring me some wine stat (laughs) she brought me a tumbler a tumbler like a 16 ounce tumbler of wine i don't know she was like 11 you know (laughs) and uh was granger granger should have been in there helping you out I don't even know where Granger was, but I, you know, it was. Uh, you had the wrong. Uh, you know, it's it just it's just a All way right. for Apple to make you do your own repairs no, no, no. Okay. at your own cost, right. and and the idea that you know, if you know what, when you get something repaired, yeah. what's the story? The story always is that uh, the part doesn't cost that much, but it's the labor. Yeah. Okay. Because it's such a sophisticated thing, it takes it's, you know. Oh, right. um, so so here you can. Repair it yourself, but you're not even going to sp- save much money. That's bullshit. Well, okay. okay, first That's of all, nonsense. Does this maybe address your problem, or it won't? I don't know. But uh, in fact, this move is going to open up the notion of getting it repaired by a, a non-authorized Apple dealer. One of the big complaints by now, right is now, they is they keep everything separate. They keep secrets so secret, that no one can repair it, but an Apple right. authorized person, and that costs more. And it's like okay. going to the dealer to do all your repairs for your car. So you may not have to do this yourself. There right. may be someone who's authorized in some kiosk and some mall is going to do it for half of what it costs now. It's all good news, Dampton. Just relax. Just maintain relax. the phone like the way we maintain you may, the cars. You can do that or not. You know, okay. Yeah, you know, the the car oh. industry is the same. They've been making it harder and harder for you to do the simple, uh, well, simplest maintenance. This is a step. I mean, in one the of other the first direction. things my brothers and my father taught me was how to change the oil and stuff like that. And yet. And yet, you're down on the Apple repair prospect. Look, give it a not chance. Not because it's all just uh, not, you know, it's uh, right. it's PR is what it is. All right, all right, all right. I touched the nerve, didn't realize uh, this would upset you more than the idea there are scorpions in Egypt. But uh, whatever. Look, Apple doesn't do anything unless it, 
it's going to make them more money. Okay. So it's yeah, not out of the goodness right. of their heart. All right. Let's let's move on. Although maybe they can't get the help. <laughs> I don't know. I so can. now we have to provide our own help. Yes. The world is changing, Dan. Yes. All so right. anyway, this I thought was a very interesting article. I think you just thought it was gross. Yes. Yes. <laughs> In a word, yes. But maybe because I'm a woman and I have dealt with more diapers perhaps than you have. Um, I think it's interesting. In an aging Japan, turning mountains of waste into fuel. Yeah. In rapidly aging Japan, more diapers are used by older incontinent people than by babies. Really? And they're getting to be more and more older people in need of those diapers uh, every minute. And uh, so uh, in Japan, I... You know, I don't know any Japanese, so I don't know if it's Hauki or Haokai. Uh, Japan, a town, has reduced their uh, trash they're incinerating by 10% by um, figuring out a way to uh, reuse, not reuse, but uh, recycle to benefit from recycle. used the re- diapers. The recycle so they, used you know, diapers. That makes it sound like you can no, actually... Reuse the diaper, no, but no, no, no. So what they have is, and it's it's not a household by household thing. It's uh, in nursing homes. In there are six nursing homes. Yeah. The nursing homes in the nursing homes they separate the used diapers um, from the rest of the trash. Those are picked up. They are uh, sterilized and fermented yeah. for twenty four hours in 350 degree heat yeah okay and turned into these pellets fuel pellets which are then used to heat up the hot baths okay you you've seen in japan you have the soothing hot baths the the water there um they have hot springs that uh, the water is heated naturally underground two miles underground um and then uh you know, people actually soak in water that is a little more heated up to 107 degrees, mm. which they feel is optimal for, um, you know, uh, cleansing and soaking uh, so the muscles. Able to, so they're able to use this at a constructive right. way. So they, and so, they, you know, the interviews of people, you know, and they said, well, you know, is it weird? Is it gross? And they say, no, it's, you know, it's human, you know. Uh, so, and, well, look, and the water seems very clean. I'm they sure said. it is. I'm sure it and, is. And uh, the guy who collects the uh, bags of the dirty diapers says, you know, at first I thought it was a little creepy uh, because we were dealing with excrement. I don't think he really said excrement. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah. our purpose is to turn unmanageable garbage into something manageable. And yeah. he feels good about it. So I, I think this is going to be um, a growing problem. And, and they mentioned that in the article. It's a huge problem in, the, in developed countries where you have an aging population and the use of these diapers. And it makes sense to... Uh, All right, listen, as long as they don't recycle them at the sweaters or something, that's fine with me. And we can I, use more hot baths. Right. Uh, yeah. Listen, it's all good, Captain. I don't know why you thought I'd be squeamish about that. It's fantastic. Good news. I mentioned the article several times and you kept uh, well, I didn't understand. looking was, the other way. 350 degrees kind of uh, makes it okay. Kind yeah, of, I think so. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here's an interesting article about roundabouts. The article called The Midwestern City Where Rounder is Greener, Carmel, Indiana. They say it's getting harder and harder to run a stoplight in Carmel, Indiana. And that's because there are 
Yeah, there aren't any. There aren't any. They've gotten rid of the stoplights, and they have instead roundabouts. There are like 140 Well, you've reported on roundabouts a number of times. Yes, they're endless fascination, but finally they're catching on. I guess our reporting is finally done. In Indiana. In Indiana. And uh, they have, there's 100,000 people in this city, so it's not the tiniest city in the world, um, north of Indianapolis. Uh, they have replaced uh, the stoplights with roundabouts. They say the main reason is safety. Compared with regular intersections, roundabouts significantly reduce injuries and deaths. But there's also a climate benefit because every, and they've done calculations, when you have the four-way stoplights or stop signs, people stop, and they start their cars, Wastes a lot of fuel. They've, you know, they've made up numbers about how much fuel they're wasting or saving by having roundabouts instead. So do you think it's true? Or you don't think it's true? I, I think they probably save some fuel. I think it's probably a tenth of what they say they're saving. But th- that's fine. I mean, it, it's all cool. It's and it's they can nice save looking. even more. Yeah, if they connect to nursing homes. Yeah, they're right. They use diapers. Uh, with they, the technology with, in buses that went around roundabouts, but. Um, this guy, the mayor, has been elected many times since 1995 as a roundabout nut. He just believes in roundabouts. He's gone to Europe. He's given lectures. He's given presentations. He believes the world needs more roundabouts. Uh, and they're nice looking. And again, just to review, roundabouts kind of get a bad name because they're confused with traffic circles. Uh, traffic circles are usually not as gradual as roundabouts. They're kind of a lot of right angles. And more to the point, the traffic signals are not clear or often the yield uh, indications are inconsistent. Roundabouts, you yield to the cars in the roundabout, and that's what makes it work. So it's the cars on the outside who have to make a decision when to go in. They do make the point that when you have roundabouts, you're counting on people uh, rel- uh, using intelligent decision-making. But they say, strangely, that works. There is a lot of intelligent well, decision-making around. In the, Indiana. In Indiana. They said you should be able to count on people to do that. It makes perfect sense. It works very smoothly. Well, uh, well we were highly trained yeah. in roundabouts on European bike trips. Yeah. And yet, the traffic circle we use frequently in Flemington has the opposite. Yeah. We, we, as it, we approach good. from the direction we come... We have right away, and we are always nervous about that. Is that right? I don't even know. We, we have don't right feel comfortable. Yeah, we oh don't feel God. comfortable. This, we we are supposed to just zoom into it, and we're always like, See, "Is I'm this learning, right?" Yeah, I, I get ner- right? I get nervous about every round. I still do, and for just that kind of reason, because it's inconsistent. And I will tell you, and and also, if you read this very carefully, and it, it, you look at the statistics about it, decreasing accidents, uh, it doesn't really decrease accidents. It turns out. That with roundabouts, there are more accidents. They're just not serious accidents. But there are a lot of fender benders involved with roundabouts. Well, so what they say is, would you uh, prefer being in a situation when you're leaving in a tow truck or you're leaving in an ambulance? As if that's the great benefit of roundabouts because you were going to get in a more serious I accident. Think that's a benefit. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, but uh, here's the best advice. Uh, <laughs> the woman who who uh, from Carmel is running the roundabouts there, this woman named Ms. Blystone. She says, for those who struggle with the roundabouts, she offers the advice, take your time, and if you're in doubt, just go around again. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I think, good advice in life, really, when you think about it, don't you think? Mm -hmm. Just, Just keep going around, and when the time comes, you get out of it, you know? 
Yeah. The other problem with roundabouts is, you know, the, the GPS lady is always saying, you know, the uh, third uh, exit. Yes. And uh, you say, well, when did she start yeah. counting? Yeah. Counting, well, you know? well, so the timing isn't always right on that. So okay. they're saying, yeah, uh, get off and it's too late. Yeah. Right. Yes. Well, this is not my favorite article. No. No. <laughs> no, I just said to it's another good headline. Why now. the internet, internet is turning into QVC. Yeah. So, um, but I, I think there's something to it. Yeah, and it, there is a funny line in the articles. The woman who's writing it uh, says, uh, "Yes, America's internet is turning into QVC. People under thirty, email me at OnTech blah 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 for an explanation of home shopping." Yeah. Uh, that, Presumption well, being that uh, younger people don't even know what QVC but you, is. But you and I, you know, have talked about it, and we have an appreciation how effective QVC is, how effective home shopping is. The notion of watching something, seeing the demonstration, getting carried away with the momentum of the demonstration and the appeal right. of the presenter right. and the product, and then yeah. clicking and ordering. Right? Yeah, we do sometimes watch uh, QVC for fun, and uh, it is funny. You you begin to think you cannot live. Without the um, bacon flavored caramel coated right. ice and cream, even if, even if you can popcorn without it, balls, you certainly can see you know, ordering. They become more and more delicious every minute that you're sitting there yeah. and you're ready to dial but, in. And this goes back to generations with my mother doing it by telephone. And my mother was truly addicted to QVC and uh, she was ordering stuff much less useful than caramel coated yeah. whatever. God knows what she was ordering. Yeah, but I never knew um, with, with the calling in, there's also a sense of community yes there is. You're, you're talking very often you get to talk to somebody right uh, either, i guess you at the very least talk to the person who's taking the and order i think that contributed okay to it for her. but sometimes they would put the the people on the air yeah, not my mother you know why are you ordering exactly. this let me tell you, you know? something and they would put my mother had put my mother on the air that would have been uh, the end of the QVC <laughs> you don't know network. that no i think your mother could have been very persuasive anyway this is about um china apparently uh has a huge um, amount of retail going on or shopping going on uh, on um, on the internet, webcasts, short videos, social media kind of thing. You're watching some spot, uh, you know, like a TikTok type of spot, somebody demonstrating something. You say this like I know what TikTok is. No, but yes. no, you're watching a short video. Like yeah, a, no, you're getting a YouTube I, I, video. I I the guy is saying, you know, isn't this great? It does this, 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 this. It's a visual. And, you yeah. know, you're sitting there, and if you could just click, and now you know, you as you're watching that uh, right. show and, and get it, mm. that would be so convenient. Apparently, this goes on... Um, YouTube, right? Well, no, well, in China, it's yeah. it's a big, big deal. They talk about the Lipstick Brother, a Chinese online pitch man who is known for s- selling $1.9 billion Dollars worth of merchandise in a single day. Yeah, I, 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 so um, I don't believe that, but yes, he, uh, he sells a lot of lipstick. I suppose. lots of people um, on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok sell merchandise, but they direct you to buy on Amazon or whatever. Right? Yeah. This would be different. You could, you know, in-app shopping. You can buy it. Boom. Uh, right there that minute get that instant gratification and uh, you know some of the other um, you know is this going to uh, detract from other businesses like Amazon you won't go to Amazon if you can buy it directly like that so um, you know we'll see 
Uh, I think well, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if you go back to you know Ron Paul Peel and you know set it and forget it and those kind of products, if people could have watched that and touched something on their television screen and and purchased it right away, he would have sold that much more stuff. He would have right. sold zillions right. of dollars of stuff. Right. So it it seems perfectly natural to do it this way. Yes, but uh, so and uh, buying stuff in our favorite online entertainment destinations. Mm-hmm. May be handy, says this writer, Shira Ovid, or we might feel meh about shopping where we chat with our Facebook gardening groups. Okay, and listen how she sums it up if in app shopping in the US becomes a bit more like how it works in China, it may not necessarily be because it's what Americans want but because it's what a bunch of powerful companies yeah. want. So this is just so a, it's this an is aside. Go, I, yeah. I've read Shirovid before. Google and yeah. uh, right. Amazon a, vying Just a word for... to the wise, Shirovid. This on Techcom, awful. I mean, she's got a conspiracy under every rock. She's, yeah. uh, I wouldn't get carried away with that. It's, but it is a fun thought that you could uh, do this kind of thing. Uh, and, and I don't think it's a fun thought. I, you know, I'm going through the death cleanse. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm like... Anti-shopping at the all right, moment. All right, all right, all right, just, right. You know, I don't want any more stuff. Yeah, but we are going to make it easier. Maybe we'll sell oh something. Maybe we'll come up with the, the next caramel-coated item that we could sell, and people will be clicking on it, and no, we'll be I, in the dough. No, I just want to sell what I already have. Right. Thank you. Well, okay. maybe that's the way to just sell that stuff. To... All right, so now finally we close with a couple of obituaries. Wilbur Smith, a man I never heard of, but it caught my attention. Author of adventure novels, dies at 88, South African a former accountant whose novels featuring lion-hearted heroes, covetous family dynasties, steamy lovers, cold-blooded pirates, and big-game hunters, said to have sold 140 million copies of books in 30 languages. How's that? Uh, reviewing the book The Diamond Hunters in 1972, the New York Times Book Review wrote, The potpourri Wilbur Smith has assembled is rife with lifelong misunderstandings, undying hates, unbelievably nefarious schemes, and nick-of-time rescues delivered with the deadpan sincerity of the Pope greats. Sold a lot of books. Right. Uh, you know, Does this mean you're going to read some Wilbur Smith now? I don't know. It's very compelling. Uh, they're bodice rippers. That's how they're described here. And uh, it's uh, he had a father who was not interested in reading at all, so much so, according to Wilbur Smith, he never read Wilbur Smith's books. <laughs> and this guy, this poor guy, Wilbur Smith, went through everything, including, I think, his last career. They mentioned accounting. He was working for the uh, Internal Revenue Service in, uh, in uh, South Africa. I mean, he was not happy in his work. And he said, you know, I think I can do something here. I think I can write something. And he wrote a book in 1962 and he sent it out to 30 publishers. The 30 publishers said no. And then he got some advice and he kind of cut it down and uh, found his niche. Uh, and he's churning them out. And he says he gets, you know, there's a quote with him before he passed. Obviously, he was criticized. Uh, the snootiness of critics, he said, is so silly. They're judging Great Danes against Pekingese. Pekingese, how do you say that? Pekingese? Yeah. yeah. I'm not writing that literature. I never set out to write it. I'm writing stories, which is uh, probably right. Okay. Uh, and he was criticized also because he had ghostwriters. He said, look, for the past few years, my fans have made it very clear they would like to read my novels and revisit my family of characters faster than I can write them. So he had people helping him write the books. Makes perfect sense. So he's in he manufacturing. Had a, he had a business. He's yeah. in business. He's in business. 
Uh, and finally, and this is, might interest you even more, there was the obituary of Dave Frischberg, writer of songs, sardonic and nostalgic, dies at 88, great jazz musician, and you're familiar with some of his songs. Uh, and what the Times says about him, which I thought was an interesting quote, he wrote hyper-literate songs that harked back to Hoagie Carmichael and Johnny Mercer by way of Stephen Sondheim. He was famous, perhaps, more than anything else, for Schoolhouse Rock uh, and songs in the Schoolhouse Rock canon. Uh, he wrote uh, some songs, if you remember, uh, Rosemary Clooney's singing, like uh, Sweet, Sweet Kentucky Ham. You may remember that song. No. He wrote uh, Peel Me a Grape, which Blossom yes. Deary popularized. Yes. He wrote uh, Van Lingle Mungo. Mungo. Oh, you know that. You remember that song. So yeah. Van Lingle Mungo was a relief pitcher, I remember, when I was growing up. Uh, late 50s, early 60s. It's a novelty song that just mentions all these different players. It, 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 there's no lyrics in it, but players' names. Yeah. And tell me that song doesn't work. It works. It, total, it works. It totally works. It's, it's a great song, uh, and it's it sort of captures the immense nostalgia associated with baseball that period of time. It does. Uh, so it's, it's kind of genius in his own way. But uh, the, the, the song I'll quote is My Attorney Bernie. And the chorus of My Attorney Bernie goes like this. Bernie tells me what to do. Bernie lays it on the line. Bernie says we sue, we sue. Bernie says we sign, we sign. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. No. no. So Dave Frischberg, uh, a great musician too, great jazz musician. So he passed. All right. So that's it. I hear enough squeaking in the background to know yes. the squeaker of the house is ready for some more company. The dulcet tones. The dulcet tones of pepper. Uh, yeah. And uh, so we will we, face We wish music. everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Yes. And we'll and, have quite uh, the family gathering here. We hope you have a family gathering also. Uh, well, we hope you have a good meal regardless. I'm, well, you know, I, I know we'll have you a know, good meal. Some people, when they're out for a good time, they're not looking for a family gathering. <laughs> Yeah, to each his own, Dad. I see. All right. I think uh, the Pepper face-off, the Pepper Hazy face-off, round two, okay. Thursday. All right. So this is Tamsin Granger. We'll let you know about that next week. And this is Dan Appyhoff. See you then. See you then. Bye.